to C3 Church Hepburn Heights. We believe Jesus Christ gives life to the full and we are called to live it and share it. We pray you enjoy this message today. How incredible. We have five locations. One of them is international. One of them is regional. Three beautiful locations in Perth. Hundreds and hundreds of people being impacted by Jesus every single week. How cool is that? Do you know what else is cool? Renovations. We've been in our house now for uh, three and a half years. And it was, it was a great house to begin with, but we went in there and we're like, okay, there's some renos that we need to, to do straight away to really make it our, our home, to make it functional for the Goulds. And so we did the bathroom straight away. And then there was this whole, we're on a corner block, and there's this whole area, the whole side of the house that was like a jungle. And you guys know my relationship with plants and being able to kill them. Anything that is green, I turn brown. (laughs) And so there's this whole side of the house that we just didn't use. And we really wanted to make that functional. And so we did some renos. We, we put in some decking and a pergola and some artificial turf. Amen to artificial turf. <laughs> who's up for artificial turf? Who's, who's artificial turf people? Who, who loves the real thing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Have, have fun on the lawnmower, guys. Um, <laughs> but we realised that the main reason why we, didn't act, why we didn't use that side of the house was because of access. There wasn't great access to that side of the house. And so the next part of our renovations was actually turning one of the windows on that side of the house into a door. Now, there's something about turning windows into doors. Now, windows are beneficial, right? There's, they're, they're, they're great for security. They're great for light and heat and warmth coming in, uh, and also you can be a nosy neighbour and observe people. (laughs) Doors also have benefits. They have all of those same benefits, but they also give you access into another area. It means that you can step into more. And whilst a window can speak of containment, of keeping something in, a door speaks of expansion of creating opportunities for movement. Now hold that thought. Welcome to week three of Reimagine. Ephesians 3, 20 to 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. Everybody say immeasurably more. Now say it with faith. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power, where? It's at work within us. Come on. To to him be glory in the church and in, in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. I want to home in on that ask or imagine part. Asking or imagining. These can be viewed as markers, as signs in us of faith, of an active trust in God. These can be a means, the means by which you and I are joined with God's reality and His life in order that you and I can participate. I love that word at the moment. Participate in God's plan coming to pass. 
And His plans are immeasurably more, immeasurably more. And this immeasurably more reality of God is working within us. How amazing is that? Now, His ability to do what He plans to do, it's not dependent on our asking or imagining because He is able to do more than what we can ask or imagine. But your and I level of participation, there it is again, our level of participation with Him and our degree of being transformed by Him, it's 100% impacted by our asking and imagining. If asking and imagining are key ingredients to the makeup of our faith journey, and the author of the letter to the Hebrews himself says, it is impossible to please God without faith, without an active trust in Him, then not only that we ask and imagine, but what we ask God to do and imagine Him doing, it matters. And this is where I want to come back to the window and door analogy. We can either see our faith and our faith journey as a window or as a door. We can either see it as something that contains us and contains God, something to observe but not truly participate in. Or we can see our faith, our faith journey as something that is expanding our view of His greatness, deepening our trust in Him and growing our experience of His love. Pastor M said last week, a lack of curiosity is silencing and crushing us. And I 100% agree. I want to go on from there. I would also say that a lack of curiosity is keeping us stuck in the past, is keeping us aligned with the ways of the world and is keeping us thinking and living small. When the God who we say we believe in and trust in and sing songs about, the God who is worthy of all the honour and glory that creation can muster and so much more, that this one true God is inviting you and I to break out of the limits, to reimagine the window as a door and to step on through into the immeasurably more. It's time to reimagine. And over the next two weeks, we're going to, highlight four ways that we can reimagine through the biblical story of Rahab. I've always wanted to preach on Rahab. Now, Rahab is introduced to us in the Old Testament. We're going Old Testament. Can you believe it? In the book of Joshua, at a pivotal moment for the people of God. You see, the Israelites had been wandering the desert for 40 years. They'd come out of slavery in Egypt. And let me, let me just tell you, it, there wasn't a 40-year distance between them coming out of Egypt and the Promised Land. Yet they wander for 40 years in the desert. Why is that? A whole generation of disobedient and unfaithful people, they had to die They had to pass on so that a new generation would rise who were unhindered by the past and who were full of faith in their God. They could rise up and they could take the promised land. They'd lost their great leader, Moses. Moses wasn't able to get into the promised land because of the disobedience of the people, because of Moses' own disobedience. And there was a new leader that had been installed. His name was Joshua. You might remember Joshua as a spy. 
someone who would spy out the promised land. And Joshua had been installed as this new leader and the Israelites were on the precipice of stepping into the promised land. And what stood in the way was a fortified city called Jericho. And Rahab was a resident of this city. And we're going to read a good portion of the story in Joshua 2 today. I'm going to read it from the CSB. And so if you have your Bibles, you can grab them and go to Joshua 2. It will come up on the screen, but it's going to be a good chunk of Scripture this morning. And I want us to really just get into this story. Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two men as spies from the Acacia Grove, saying, go and scout the land, especially Jericho. So they left and they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelite men have come here tonight to investigate the land. Then the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab and said, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, for they came to investigate the entire land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. Hidden them. <laughs> hidden them. So she said, yes, the men did come to me, but I didn't know where they were from. At nightfall, when the city gate was about to close, the men went out, and I don't know where they were going. Chase after them quickly, and you can catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hid them amongst the stalks of flax that she had arranged on the roof. The men pursued them along the road to the fords of the Jordan, and as soon as they left to pursue them, the city gate was shut. Before the men fell asleep, she went up on the roof and she said, and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings you completely destroyed across the Jordan. When we heard this, we lost heart and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now please swear to me by the Lord that you will also show kindness to my father's family because I showed kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers, sisters and all who belong to them and save us from death. The men answered her, We will give our lives for yours. If you don't report our mission, we will show kindness and faithfulness to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then she let them down by a rope through the window. She turned the window into a door. Since she lived in a house that was built into the wall of the city, go to the hill country so that the men pursuing you won't find you, she said to them. Hide there for three days until they return. Afterward, go on your way. The men said to her, we will be free from this oath you made us swear, unless when we enter the land you tie this scarlet cord to the window through which you let us down. I'm going to talk about the scarlet cord next week. Bring your father, mother, brothers, and all your father's family into, our, into your house. If anyone goes out of the doors of your house, his death will be his own fault, and we will be innocent. But if anyone within, with you in the house should be harmed, his death will be our fault. And if you report your mission, we are free from the oath you made us swear. Let it be as you say, she replied, and she sent them away. After they'd gone, she tied the scarlet cord to the window. So the two men went into the hill country and stayed there three days until the pursuers had returned. They searched all along the way but did not find them. Then the men returned, came down from the hill country and crossed the Jordan. They went to Joshua, son of Nun, and reported everything that had happened to them. 
They told Joshua, the Lord has handed over the entire land to us. Everyone who lives in the land is also panicking because of us. And because of that report, we know what happened. They cross the Jordan River and they get to Jericho and they start walking around the walls of Jericho. And they do it for seven days. And on the seventh time that they walk around, on the seventh day, the walls came down. And then Rahab's mentioned again in Joshua 6, 17, as they enter into the city. And then we'll pick up finally in verse 22 of chapter 6. Joshua said to the two men who had scouted the land, go to the prostitute's house and bring the woman out of there and all who were with her, just as you swore to her. So the young men who had scouted went in and brought out Rahab and her father, mother, brothers and all who belonged to her. They brought her out her whole family and settled them outside the camp of Israel. They burned the city and everything in it, but they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. However, Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute, her father's family and all who belonged to her because she hid the messengers Joshua had sent to spy in Jericho and she still lives in Israel today. Now, before we move on, if you're challenged by this idea of the people of God completely destroying another group of people and you want to know how that kind of fits with the idea of a loving God, I really recommend theologian Paul Copen's resources. He's got some great books. They are heavy reads. <laughs> uh, I've read two of them. Uh, but is God a moral monster? Is God a vindictive bully? And did God really command genocide? Those three books I recommend if you want to reconcile that idea of a loving God. And so from this story, I want to encourage us all to reimagine, to reimagine the details of our call, to reimagine our identity, to reimagine the power of kindness, and to reimagine God's sovereignty. I'm going to cover the first two today and the last two next Sunday. So reimagine the details of our call. Now these spies, they were given a call. They were given a mission by Joshua, go and scout the land and then come back with a report. They were told what to do, but they weren't given the step-by-step details of how this mission, this plan was to come to pass. And so, of course, the first thing that you do when you get into Jericho and you're trying to scout the land is you go to where the brothel is, right? Of course. Why did they go to the brothel? I mean, that's just, I don't know, just it doesn't seem obvious to me. Maybe they were going there to, to, to kind of s- stay under the radar. That didn't work. <laughs> the king of Jericho found out straight away. Was it to, to kind of, they, they knew the type of people that would be at the brothel and they, they might be able to turn some of them and they might be able to get the information that they need, maybe. But whatever their reasons, I'm sure the spies were absolutely shocked by the way the woman that they found there already had a seed of faith in God and she was looking for an opportunity for that faith, that asking and hoping and imagining, that faith to find expression and movement for the window to be turned into a door. I'm not sure a Canaanite woman who sold sex for payment would have been high on the list of the spy's choice for most likely ally. Would you? No. 
But Rahab ends up being the catalyst, not just a part of the plan, the absolute catalyst for the information they needed, for the protection they needed, and for the way out they needed to fulfill their call, this pivotal mission. And to fill in the gaps, to provide the details, Rahab had to put her identity, she had to put her livelihood, her sense of national pride, her absolute life on the line to give them the information they needed. Rahab, a woman, a prostitute, a Canaanite, she had the trifecta going on. She was used by God in stunning fashion. Now, what if the spies, after Rahab had offered their help, the spies just said, oh, can we just have a quick chat? I don't think we should trust her because we don't agree with her lifestyle. Thanks, but no thanks, Rahab. Do you think things might have been different? I think things would have been different. But they reimagined. They reimagined the details of their call and they put their faith, their active trust in God to fill in the gaps, to make a way because that is what he does and that is what he did. And maybe you and I have this God-given desire, this call, this purpose, this idea for our lives. Maybe we have a sense of God's call for a particular mission or plan or profession or to a particular people or a way of life. Maybe we can't articulate it like that. Maybe we're in a season in our life where we're kind of questioning it, but still there's this sense for all of us that God has a unique plan for us. Now, when it comes to that plan, when it comes to our call, we may know that it's from God, but most of the time we can't see the details. We can't see the steps mapped out for us. And it's in that moment and then on a daily basis that you and I have a choice to make. You see, we can know it's God-given, this call, this sense of mission that God has for us, this purpose. We can know that it's God-given. We can say we trust him with the details and we can then actually trust him as we ask and we seek and we hope and imagine through our devotional lives, through the way we live our life, our praying, our reading of the word, our engagement in discipleship community. Or we can know it's God-given, this call. We can say we trust him. And then we try and control every single step. And we all do this to some degree, right? But the more we do it, I kind of see it as micromanaging the creator of the universe. (laughs) The more we try to micromanage the creator of the universe, the more you and I are strangling our ability to ask, to hope, to imagine, to be curious, to operate in faith, to actively trust God because somehow we've replaced God with our own abilities, our own intellect and our own expertise. You see, God wants the glory for everything and God actually deserves the glory. See, when you and I try to control every step, we're essentially trying to take the glory from God. But you and I, we reimagine what God can do as we let go of control. As we let go 
of control and actively trust him. Letting go requires us to look within, right? And letting go and looking within, it's not easy. It's hard to do because the easy thing for you and I to do is to blame external reasons for why our call isn't humming along or we're not hearing from God clearly clearly, or our lives aren't as fruitful as we would like or we don't get that sense that we're strongly being led by the Holy Spirit. We can blame circumstances and we can blame other people. But what if there's a bunch of work to be done in here? What if you and I are the ones who are stifling the Spirit's movement and activity in our God-given call? I'm going to read a quote, and this quote's going to sting. It stung me, man. Jesuit priest and theologian Carl Rayner. We must face the possibility with fear and trembling that we could be the ones who stifle the Spirit. Stifle him through that pride in knowing better, that criteria of the heart, that cowardice, that unteachability with which we react to fresh impulses and new pressures in the church. There's work to be done in here. Let's reimagine. Let's reimagine how we see God working out the details of our call by doing a great work of transformation in us. Maybe it's around people. What if there's someone in our world who doesn't line up with our values and our theology, but who just like Rahab was a catalyst for the spies, this person in our life could be a catalyst for God's plan to be fulfilled in us. Are you and I keeping that very person, the very person God wants to use in us, are we keeping them at arm's length? Maybe it's around our beliefs. What if there's a secondary belief, a a doctrine that you and I are holding a little higher than we should? Maybe even elevating this belief or opinion to a primary place. And it's becoming the focus of our lives. And as a consequence, it's limiting. It's limiting our ability to ask or imagine God. What if we let that go? What if we let go of control of that? What if we actually surrendered it to God and said, God, I'm, I'm sorry. I've kind of put myself in the place of God. I'm sorry that I've done that, God. Can you, can you help me? Let that thing go and keep sight of the main thing. I wonder what could open up in terms of the next steps of our call. Or maybe it's around our practices. Maybe... A next step that we have previously said, we will never do that, is the very next step God wants us to take. I'm never going to go back to study. I'm not, I'm not starting that art class. I can't have people in my home regularly. I'm, I'm just not his, hospitable. I'm never going to go to a renewed prayer. I'm never going to try a season of fasting or to give to beyond. I'm never going to incorporate silence into my prayer time. I was sprinkled as a baby. Why would I go and get baptised through full immersion? I'm never doing it. Silence. (laughs) I've said this to myself. I've I've said I'm never going to do certain things. 
I'm preaching this to myself just as much to everyone. What if the thing we said we would never do is actually the next step God has for us? Not down the track, not one day, but what if that sense of stuckness that you and I are feeling in our faith and our lives is because the step that would get us out of our stuckness is the step we said we'll never do? It's time to reimagine. It's time to reimagine the details of our call. Do we trust God? Do we actually trust God that He is able to do it and we don't have to have it all mapped out? James, if you want to come up and tinkle on the ivories for us, please. Let's reimagine the details of our call and let's reimagine our identity. Now, we're aware from this story about Rahab that she wasn't born into the chosen people of God. She wasn't born into the Israelite family. She was a Canaanite. She was a prostitute. She was likely at the lower rungs of the social pecking order in Jericho, let alone for the people of God. Now, throughout history, someone who has sold sex for money hasn't enjoyed widespread esteem. I remember living in Kalgoorlie in the, in the, as a kid in the 80s and my friends and I, we were kind of like seven or eight, we'd ride our BMXs up to the start of Hay Street. If you, if you know Kalgoorlie, you know that Hay Street, back then, there were actual brothels on Hay Street. There were, there were ladies who were trying to attract clients out on the streets of Hay Street. And so my mates and I, we would dare each other, get on your BMX and ride as fast as you can. Somehow we kind of thought that we'd get grabbed or something, but we'd ride as far. I don't know if I've ever ridden that fast on my bike before. It felt, it felt dangerous. It felt, it felt wrong. It felt naughty because it was kind of like you were, you, were, you were leaving the edge of normal society and you were stepping out to where the outcasts would gather. Prostitution was forbidden according to the Mosaic law. There were heavy penalties for those who were engaged in it. It was likely tolerated in ancient Israel as long as the people weren't married. But overall, it was a profession that was socially unacceptable. I'm saying all this so we can understand that, that Rahab really had as undesirable a reputation and identity as you could have. And we might be sitting here today and we might feel exactly like Rahab. Blemished, broken, undesirable, unseen or used and suffering from a lack of self-worth. We could even say that we're Christians. A Christian by name. But our, our nature, our identity remains based on past pain, present problems, or people's opinions. Rahab. Something changed. Something shifted for her. She reimagined her identity. And we, we read the end of Joshua chapter 6. The outcome was great for her. She was grafted into the people of God. But more than that, that's not the last time we hear of Rahab in the Bible. You know, she's mentioned three times in the New Testament. 
She's mentioned in Matthew 1. She's in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, our Saviour. And she's mentioned again in James and also in Hebrews. And what's the context of why she's mentioned in James and Hebrews? Here's why. As a great example of a person of faith, of actively trusting in God. Far out. You see, the spies, when they came to Rahab, they didn't have to preach. They didn't have to twist her arm. They didn't have to convince her. It was obvious to her that God was real and moving. She'd been persuaded by rumours concerning the power of Israel's God and the imminent destruction of Jericho's. And this led to her having this deep conviction that was stronger than any fear of what would happen from the local authorities. And she seized the opportunity. She reimagined her identity. She asked for and imagined a better day, a better future, a new identity. She turned the window into a door. And her faith was activated as she helped the spies. And this changed everything. She was spared from destruction. She was brought into the very people of God. She became a part of the family, a full recipient of God's blessing. And she became a great example of faith to follow. Such is the power of reimagining our identity in light of the one true God. Tikva Frymakensky, professor of Hebrew, the Hebrew Bible and history of Judaism. She summarises this perfectly. Rahab, who begins as triply marginalised, Canaanite woman and prostitute, moves to the centre as bearer of a divine message and herald of Israel in its new land. Even though later generations of readers have been squeamish about her occupation, preferring to think of her as an innkeeper, she is remembered in Jewish tradition as the great proselyte or convert, as ancestress of kings and prophets, and in the New Testament as ancestress of Jesus. And so what does it look like for you and I to reimagine our identity? From one founded on what's wrong with us to one founded on who God says we are. And it, and it begins with a transformation of our thinking. Our mindsets have to be shifted and renewed through the Word of God. And we have these... Can I, can I grab that please, babe? We have these A4 papers, I think pages that Pastor Jace has put together. I am, I have spiritual uh, scripture declarations. And if you've been to Renew Prayer, you've probably seen these before. But they basically summarise, this page basically summarises who you and I are in light of what the Word of God says. And I believe this is powerful for you and I to take in, to reflect upon, to journal about, to read, to declare over our lives in re-establishing, re-imagining the identity you and I have in 
God. And so we have these A4 papers, pages out in the Grace to Give box area. If you want to grab one of those on the way out, you can do that. It's also online on our purpose circles. If you click on Jesus at the centre, uh, you can then access that A4 piece of paper. And so maybe it's grabbing one of these truths, one of these declarations and just praying it throughout the day or one a week. Or maybe it's every morning going through them and, and declaring them and praying them out and speaking them out into our hearts and minds, allowing the Bible to do its work and really transform us in our thinking that we could reimagine our identity. And Karen is, is actually now going to come and she's going to pray some of these I am, I have scriptures over us. Thanks, babe. Thank you. Hi, church. If you would like to just close your eyes, relax, have a breath, and as I prayerfully read these statements over you, I encourage you to receive them and agree with them personally. You are God's child. You are Christ's friend. You are a member of Christ's body. You are a citizen of heaven. You are hidden with Christ. You are seated with Christ in heavenly realms. You were chosen before the creation of the world. You are holy and blameless. You are a joint heir with Christ. You are forgiven. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You are a personal witness of Jesus Christ. You are God's co-worker. You are a minister of reconciliation. You are God's workmanship. You are a holy temple. You are a dwelling for the Holy Spirit. You are greatly loved by God. You are righteous and holy. You are gifted and called. You are strengthened by God's glorious power. You are able to do all things through Christ's strength. You are more than a conqueror. You are victorious. You have been given a spirit of power, love and a sound mind. You have been lavishly given God's glorious grace. You have redemption. You have hope. You have access to the Father. You have peace. You have been healed by the stripes of Jesus. You have the mind of Christ. You have freedom in Christ. You have been justified 
forgiven and made righteous. You have been made alive in Christ. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. You have been delivered from the domain of darkness. You have been made complete in Christ. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us here on our podcast. We encourage you to let this word further help you live and share the life to the full that Jesus gives. If you want to check out more about our upcoming events, service times, locations, or to give online, go to c3hh.com.au.